Many young people have grown up knowing that it's their cup that needs to be filled up by the teachers, the mentors, the parents, the bosses, the CEOs, who have the jug to fill it up. At Bodrum Banta, we believe that it's through coming together that we create a bigger pool of knowledge and wisdom, with the mission of making the boardroom as big as can be, amplifying the stories behind the people and filling each other up. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, it's about time. Funny how you think we're going to edit this out. <laughs> bold, bold of you to assume we're going to edit this out. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the boardroom. My name is Boniface Amina and four days to Christmas, the holiday spirit mood is like everyone is excited getting in that celebratory holiday mood. People, I'm sure you, you, you've closed school, those who are in school, people who are working, you got that final paycheck in right and kicking off your holiday season today in the boardroom we're bringing you gifts and gifts and gifts you guys know that song of on the first day of christmas my true love gave to me so in the fourth day to christmas the boardroom banter brings you a conversation featuring one of the most intelligent empathetic and inspirational look at him he's laughing he's laughing at me right now what are the most intelligent, empathetic, and inspirational young leaders that I've had the privilege of calling my friend? And that is Joshua Okudua joining us from the United Kingdom. Joshua, how were you doing? Hey, hi, 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 hi. Hey, guys, don't be deceived. Um, that sounds like a lot of pressure. Uh, <laughs> inspiring young leaders. Hey, some of us haven't been paid our paychecks for the year. We're still calling the companies to <laughs> <laughs> sending those emails morning afternoon please evening. please please christmas right. is next week um some of us haven't been paid um but i feel like for me it's a great privilege you know to yeah get an opportunity to be able to talk about like my journey and it's not something that i really really take for granted so just yeah. to the boardroom banter podcast for i mean taking all the time to you know put me um on the spot and be able to share some of the lessons and failures that i've really encountered um just growing up as a young person so thank you thank you so much yeah awesome it is our privilege right and we are honored to to have you join us here bit of story time for our listeners joshua yuri and i met at Watson Institute. We've, we've, we've given you guys snippets of different amazing leaders that we met at Watson. In the previous episode, you guys listened to Jorge Mendez and what the Watson Institute is all about. Joshua is a, a, one of the alumni of Watson and crazy, crazy times that we had with Joshua. When I had spoken to you guys about having to hop from event to event over the course of a week, looking for events that have food, right? Inventory manager. Inventory <laughs> I was telling them, now, you, you guys thought I was lying to you about ma- managing inventory. Joshua, mm. talk to them about, about, about what, what squid games you used to play with, with the food and the caterers at these events. I feel like, you know that thing when they say, like, when you go to school, don't just go to school, allow the, allow the school to pass through you. 
yeah. I think that, you know, we were very good examples of people who, I think we still maintain the loudest cohort that they've ever had in Watson. Um, at, Confirmed. At, 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 yeah, like at the moment, because I don't think anyone like give as much buzz as, as, as we've done. And I think for us, yeah. it was more like, I mean, where people who were well accomplished, but when it came to food, we understood our priorities. <laughs> You know, we, the assignment. <laughs> we, we knew we knew and bonnie was very very good at that like you know we go for event and everybody just says secure the food so you know <laughs> you know what to do we don't leave that event without food and you know we're very good at networking so we network with the right people and when we go home we have enough food um i we think our biggest food. was this one that we did at uh send 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 rain is it Saint Vrain? Ah, ah, yeah. ah, ah. Saint, yeah, Saint Vrain in Valley School or, or something where we took enough food to last us for how, how long. So I guess, and I was just even thinking about it, honestly, like I'm very, very proud of us. Like we own that narrative, we own that story and we're still young leaders inspiring the world. So that's powerful. Yeah. Beautiful. And you, 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 you just kicked off this conversation for us, owning the narrative as mm. young people right no mm. no title at the end no leader at the end no entrepreneur no thingy as young members of the community that is the world how can we own our narrative right and you you are someone who in our books as as Bodrum Banta you you've navigated that your narrative pretty well and we'd just like to explore that a bit right I remember when we met when you met at Watson, you were running a foundation in Nigeria, right? Mm, Called mm-hmm, Restructure mm-hmm. Africa. Mm. And it was interesting because Yuri and myself, years back, right, when we were in high school, we tried to set up a similar style of, of, of approach in terms of running an initiative for the community. And yeah, six years later, it's not up anymore, failed completely. But we took those lessons, right? So we'd love to speak about where, how that idea came up, what you observed within your community, and how you went about delivering these solutions mm. for for Nigeria and what that experience has been. Okay, so I think for me, really, um, my end goal has always been to outlive a mission, like regardless of where I find myself, so whether I'm in a job. Or I'm working at an NGO or I'm volunteering. Yeah. My mission has always been to um, help others, you know, in terms of them maximizing their potentials, making the best most of certain opportunities or the environment, and also inspiring them, you know, to make better choices at life. You know, I come from a um, I come from a background where, which is very typical of the, I mean, African child where you lack access to education, you lack access to healthcare. You know, I not to go into deep many times I was sent home from school because I couldn't afford, you know, my parents couldn't afford to, you know, um, pay for my school fees. It was so bad that sometimes um, there was no food at home, you know, who would have to eat um, bad food, bad bread spot bananas you know just mm. because my mother ensured that you know we didn't go to bed hungry so it was very very tough for me growing up and I think that 
you know, as I grew much older, I realized that I don't think I can live here for too long, you know, and I realized that there's mm. power in education, you know, and that's what my parents have always, you know, told us, you know, like go to school, you know, my mom, there's sometimes when my mom would, you know, she wake up at night, she would sit me down and tell me to look at all the stars and she would say my greatness is greater than all of those stars. Yeah. You know, she says as long as, you know, people cannot count the stars in the sky, you yeah. know, you yourself, no one will be able to count your greatness. No one will be able to count the amount of wealth that you will bring. And for the longest time, I felt that, you know, wealth sometimes could mean money. But sometimes wealth is not money. You know, wealth is the number of people or the life sometimes that you are able to impact. And back in 2016, even prior to then, I've been volunteering for a lot of organizations. And yeah. for me, I felt like I had a stronger purpose to what life meant. And in 2016, I decided to just take the initiative to start my own thing. But in 2015, I had visited a community. It's called Makoko Slum in Lagos. Yeah. And I went there with, you know, um, Mrs. Abisoyak um, Akin Falarin, who was planning a um, tech program for girls. And I just went there as an escort just to see. But when I was in that community, I saw what, you know, um, inaccessibility looked like. I saw, I thought I was poor, but I saw people in like, you know, like really, really bad states. And I decided, oh, I think there's something I can do about this. and so. I had already developed my networks back then in my undergrad in 2016 because mm -hmm. it was my final year as a student of geography and planning at the University of Lagos. So I gathered my friends and we decided to go into Makoko community. And it was very simple. We went there for a sanitation. We went there to give them really five times. So that's food, mosquito nets. We also had health sensitization talks. We had partnerships from some of the companies that I was working with. So prior to that time, my hustle is like my like my hustle story is very long. But yeah. prior to that time, because again, I couldn't afford to pay my school fees while I was doing my undergrad. So I had to like do small, small businesses. So at least I could afford to pay school fees while, you know, while in school and studying. And it was tough. You know, I I I I still tell people today that if I wasn't doing businesses by the side. I probably would have graduated with a first class. But of course, while people were attending classes, I was busy delivering food. So the, I, I mean, while one of the businesses I did was called Errand Boy. So I was delivering food to people around campuses. So I used to work with restaurants. So when I told this restaurant that, oh, I'm starting an initiative where I'm trying to support poor people with, you know, stuff and things like that. One restaurant gave me about um, 64 kg, two 64 kg um, bags of raw rice. And, you know, they also donated money. They also donated money. Aside from that also, um, we had over 60 volunteers the first day we went to Makoko and we had asked yeah. for price, you know, like we're going to buy food. But they said, no, Joshua, we're giving you this for free. You know, we like what you're doing. And I think they were my first investment, you know, towards what we now know as Restructure Africa Foundation, um, which is addressing the issues of poverty through increasing access to education, healthcare, and of course, supporting in very, very tough humanitarian um, conditions. So, so far, so good. Um, we've impacted the lives of over 22,000 people. Um, we've also raised over $40,000, you know, to be able to support, support some of the initiative 
um, that we're currently doing. So it's quite amazing to see that, you know, um, your background should not determine your circumstances. If I'm yeah. able to break free from, you know, my background, I believe that I also should give other children and other young African children the opportunity to be able to break outside of the poverty cycle. Yeah. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. And a lot of what you mentioned, you know, formed the basis of how, you know, we built our relationship when we had met at Watson, right? And one thing that you mentioned that really sticks out is, is the value of education, right? I was, I was having a conversation with one of my friends. She's in Cornell University. Shout out to Wendy. And one thing that she told me that she realized early on as she, you know, was taking that path towards aligning aligning her stars to get to Cornell is how education is a very big equalizer right which means a lack of it brings a lot of inequality right and we see a lot of effects of you know different levels of inequality in our communities I'm from Kenya you're from Nigeria Mm. we we have very similar social economic problems within our our systems right Mm. and you and your mission, as stated, right, is creating solutions in shared prosperity, equality, and the expansion of human capabilities. And that's mm. very powerful because it's directly rooted in, you know, bridging these gaps in opportunities, gaps in things like accessibility, as you've mm. mentioned. And it's not, it's not necessarily, uh, oh, this is, the, this is our mission, this is the mission I have and I'm going to sort it out, right? There are a lot of moving parts to it and a lot mm. of things that you need to plug in to make this entire machine work. And I know, mm. I know we've experienced it with the different ventures that we've done. And likewise, as you've mentioned, right, what, what would you comment on, on what needs to align for you to you know, take that first step? Like one thing you, uh, you just mentioned is how you had these pre-existing networks and it was mm. as simple as tapping into these networks and those those strings are already attached right in a good a good connotation to that those mm. strings are already attached but what other what okay. other different approaches you had to take to get this thing on the road and build a structure around it whether it's the team the people supporting it from the external and approaching these people who you're helping Okay, so I would I'll try to break that down into passion, capacity, and also your networks. And first interest would be passion, because I mean you have to have an idea like what is you what falls you know, what is that one problem that you're trying to solve? Like people would say, how much do you want it? You know, like what is that burning desire in you that you know you can't sleep? You know, because for some it could be. It could be your burning desire for the environment. So yeah, you want to change fossil fuel. You know, like you want to change the way companies manage fossil fuel. For you, you are interested in ensuring that, oh, no child should go to bed hungry. For you, it might be that you're interested in education. You want to ensure that more kids get to school. For you, it might be like you're tired of people dying from maternity, related health diseases. For some, it's cancer. For some, it's you are just like, you just like, like you just feel like helping people. Like you can't sleep until you help people. So I feel like regardless of whatever you're doing, you have a place in this world. 
you know, you don't necessarily have to also start NGOs also. You don't necessarily need to start your own NGO. Sometimes too, one thing we can also do is sometimes your passion doesn't necessarily say that you need to be um, a starter. Sometimes your passion requires that you also join or partner with other organizations yeah. that are already doing what you do. And I see that one thing that, we've, that I mean, yes, we're leaders. We're leaders and we are always like, we always want to start, you know, we always want to be the innovators. We also want to be like yeah. the front lines. But I feel like one thing we also need to learn as leaders is it's not like we have enough, but in scenarios where you feel like you're, like in scenarios where you feel like you can partner, partner instead of having to go start your own initiative. Do you get what yeah. I mean? Because I feel like two hands are better than one, you know, in cases where you feel like, yeah, I mean, sometimes some people <laughs> already have, you know, some people already have the organizations running, they already, they already have a structure and they have the funding, True. you have the passion, you know, instead of you go starting, you don't have funding, you know, you're really struggling. Why should you why struggle? Not, you know, why not partner <laughs> with somebody who else has, you know, and the same ambition alignment with you and you can do that. So I feel like passion is like really, really huge. And the second thing that yeah. I said is capacity. You know, I feel like if you have passion and you don't have capacity, you won't be able to solve some of the things that you're most passionate about. For instance, I could say you're a very passionate person. You're concerned about like the girl child education and you don't even understand systemic change. You don't yeah. understand your organization does not have an effective theory of change. Um, you probably don't have the right tools or the right team to be able to support you. You don't have funding. You don't know how to write an email. You don't know how to write a business proposal. You don't yeah. know how to, you know, do marketing. You know, yes, this is where I feel like a lot of people struggle. You know, sometimes when people do things the wrong way um, and they feel like they are making drastic change. But if you don't understand, you know, real development, you might end up doing palliative measures or where well, I know I'm not saying that palliative measures are not good, but you want mm. to be able to, you know, do something that the world can say, yes, you really, really did transform the life of um, the life of a person. So I feel like it's very, very important for you to get capacity, basic things like email etiquette, you know, public speaking, um, marketing, social media management, you know, things like um, understanding your theory of change, funding, partnerships. True you know, team management, you know, volunteering, you know, these are things that I feel like are very, very essential. If you're, you know, you're, you're somebody who is trying to be a young innovator and you're also trying to start your own organization. I think lastly, like I would say, will be your networks because without your networks, really, you can't really do anything. Somebody knows somebody that knows somebody, yeah. right? You know, somebody has gone ahead of you, you know, somebody is doing it, you know, has been doing it for a long time. You know, so I see that one mistake that a lot of young people also make is they 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 take away the place of mentorship. They take away the place of learning from people who have done it. They work like that that that, that yeah. have done it ahead of you. And so they learn from the wrong places. Yeah, you know, and sometimes mentorship is not about people that are up there. Sometimes a network or mentorship can be with some a young person like yourself who yeah. is in Kenya that is doing amazing stuff. But I feel like sometimes it's just pride that we're not able to step down, you know, to be able to ask, you know, a younger, a fellow younger person who is doing amazing work to say, hey, oh, I see that you're doing something in my field. Can we talk? Can you teach me mm -hmm. how you're doing your stuff? You know, most times you always aim for the big guys where sometimes we're just supposed to, you know, stick with ourselves. Um, networks, your family and friends are your biggest network. I can remember the first time that I was getting my first international opportunity 
to attend the mm-hmm. uh, um, um, third African um, Pan African Youth Conference in the Gambia, and I needed to raise about six hundred dollars. People who helped me raise that money were my immediate friends. You know, they were my friends. You know, yeah. they were people that I knew. And these were people that could also attest to some of the work that I've been doing in Nigeria and the self community. So I feel like, you know, one thing that I feel like we don't really, really do this well as young people these days is we are burning bridges. We're not taking our network mm-hmm. quite seriously. And sometimes we're like, oh, I don't really think um, I want to associate and things like that. But the thing is, if you want to stay relevant, especially in the development field, your network is pretty much your most powerful asset. So I'm just lastly, um, I think that first and foremost, you also have to um, like, like you also have to understand that, like, know when to let go, know when to drop your vision, you know, know when to, you know, like know when to exit. Because sometimes, so I feel like a lot of young people are struggling in organizations that they have no business leading. You've not gotten funding in a lot of years. <laughs> we know volunteers, you know, your volunteers yeah. have left the organization. Yeah. Like it's, it's not working, you know. So instead of trying so hard, know when to exit, like know when to stop. And if truly, 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 this is an organization that you feel like you want to support or you want to lead, sometimes you could also take a break. I know young leaders don't know how to take retreats. Like they don't know how to stop yeah. and think ideas. Pause and everything last, and breathe. Yeah. Yeah, right. and lastly, I, 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 I was just say, Bonnie, in case I forget, will be get a job. I feel like there's a, there, there are a whole lot of young leaders that are doing NGO work. They don't have money for themselves. Like, they can't afford to, you know, like, they can't afford to, you know, take care of themselves as individuals, right? I feel like something, one mistake that I made from the very, very onset was not having a job. Because right. if you're an organization that money is passing through you, like one million naira or let's say one thousand USD, yeah. that temptation of wanting to you know dip your hands into that it's high, you know, because you don't have a job, like you can't feed yourself. So I feel like as a starters, try as much as I mean. If you remember in Watson, they are spoken yeah. about if 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 you were setting a budget and you were not setting a budget to pay yourself from to pay yourself thing, yeah to pay yourself right those so grants that yeah, meaning that you can steal right so <laughs> i feel like yes you know if you're a non-profit you know that you're not making money at least have money to be able to take care of yourself yeah that's what i think mm. i love what you've spoken about joshua and just just to let the listeners in on this joshua is speaking both from a point of experienced as an entrepreneur in the development space but also having studied the science behind it and the art behind it very deeply joshua is a recent graduate um the master's in poverty and development with a shivening scholarship in the uk so congratulations to you thank joshua you. for that one thank you right? thank you and i love something that you mentioned because we were having this conversation two days ago with the team we're having got a whole day of coffee work at this coffee shop. Entrepreneurs know how the coffee shops come through for us when we're trying to, you know, get through bad Wi-Fi connection and stuff mm-hmm. like that. You mentioned mm-hmm. how it's important to collaborate. In this sense, you'd rather have 5% of something than 100% of nothing. And the conversation that we're having with the team was on how how we need to drop our pride and ego and open ourselves up to bringing other people on board of ideas. I feel like it's something that 
individual members of our team, you know, we have gone through this in past ventures and mm-hmm. we've struggled really. And a lot of entrepreneurs glorify this struggle thinking that, oh, you need to start your company in a room, in your dorm room with a laptop, you know, slave your way through the first couple of months, get someone to put you in the door, struggle again. And we're misguided by these notions from some unicorn stories, right? How they're mm. depicted on Netflix, on social media, mm. how, how some entrepreneurs who are running startups portray that on social media. Just mm. like as the social media isn't real, right? Nothing that you see there is real, right? They're all mm. constructs. <laughs> but um, I guess it's a thing of where we're not drawing relevant examples or listening to the right aspects of people's stories. Because if you've read um, The Outliers, and we mentioned this in Jorge's episode as well, they break down how exactly, if someone says, oh, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a self-made billionaire, self-made this, it's not necessarily that. It's a confluence of different circumstances and opportunities that they found themselves in the right mm-hmm. room Virtual. for and grabbed onto it. They are born mm-hmm. in the right generation, they are born in the right family. They are born with the right struggles, challenges, as well as skills and approaches to overcome those challenges. So I guess mm. it's, it comes down to that, um, I feel. And one thing that, that you mentioned that was also really amazing was the value of capacity building, right? Mm. You, can't, you can't help someone else unless you find ways of helping yourself. And one of mm. the ways is equipping yourself with these different yeah, skills. Very, very right? important. You can negate that. Yeah. 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 When we look at one of the things that you've mentioned before on, you know, some doors will not open if you're not prepared. And if you lack people in rooms who can put your name forward, I can see you're smiling, right? Um, what I, was I feel very scared because I mean just just you guys have picked up very important lies that are only right <laughs> very very serious conversations. So I'm just wondering, like, where you guys that's we a do research. our research, we hey, do nice research, but hey. break this down for us, right? Because yeah. you also went to mention the value of building and cherishing networks, uh, which you've outlined, but also blowing your trumpet. Some hey. people, some people, you know, might feel like, oh. I shouldn't put my voice out there. I mm. shouldn't, you know, be quick to talk about myself like this. And mm. Josh, you actually, you're saying you actually had this issue a while back. I, I remember we used, to, we used to fight a lot. <laughs> we used to fight a lot about this. But how, the issue. how have you seen this reflect very recently in your life? I think for me, the biggest mistake I made was, again, like marrying my personality with my organization yeah. or with the initiative I get to be a part of because I'm a very, very quiet person. I like it for a private life or because I also like run an initiative and it's very personal to me. My personality tends to go into that organization. So sometimes we don't end up posting a lot of work that we do because I'm like, we don't really, really need to tell the world. But the thing about development is the more you talk, the more access to opportunities you get. The more you talk about your work, the more you build credibility. The more people know about what you do, the more you are able to streamline yourself as one of the organizations that people can partner with, right? So the biggest mistake that I made for myself early enough 
very early was marrying my personality with the things that I do. And, and I say this unequivocally that in 2022 and beyond, I will blow my trumpet to the loudest and the loudest <laughs> that the world can Let hear. The and I'll tell you why. Because Talk to me. Our African leaders, some African leaders don't do much. But the pictures that they post on social media every day might make it seem like mm. these guys are doing a lot. Where they are the real Yo. guys who... Where they are, they are the real guys, you know. You know, some African leaders have become tourists. They have become bloggers, you know, yeah. like cameramen, you know, next 2022. Capa- hey, Maybe capacity on social hey, media marketing skills. Hey, <laughs> hey, hey, you know, but I feel like now is the time for us to talk about, like, their platforms like Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Yeah. The world has evolved in such a way that you can tell your story online, right? And it brings me back to what you were talking about us not learning from the right people because these guys tell their stories. They talk about the hardship, right? What we need to do is we need to find guys who are successful, who didn't go through the hardship. They also yeah. need to talk about how easy it was or what they, some of the things that they did to get successful. Nobody's saying it's not hard. But the thing is, mm. I feel like we marry pain with success. We feel like if, if, if an experience is not painful, we can't be successful or it can't be, be successful. successful. Like, if, 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 if it's not struggle. hard, yeah, yeah, struggle, right? If it's not hard, if it's not painful, then it's not worth it. When in the real sense, sometimes some things are just low-hanging fruit, right? Yeah. It's very, very important in like talking about your story. We have seen how social media, how Twitter has helped, you know, people raise thousands and thousands of dollars to be able to support initiative. We have seen yeah. how somebody saw a certain picture and decided, oh, I think I want to be part of this. And that's how he escalated. But what did the person do first? They posted. They asked. Somebody knew that they were mm-hmm. doing. And guess what? The internet never forgets. If you are aiming to be Barack Obama one day, people will look at your trajectory. 20 years from now, people will want to look yeah. back at, if you are vying for the office of the president, what can history say about you? What have you done? And if most of what you've done is within yourself and the internet doesn't know, unfortunately, people might not feel like you have the credibility to be able to deliver what is expected. So I feel like as a young person, it is very, very important that regardless of where you find yourself, whatever work that you do, let people know that you are doing this. The world is watching. Yeah. Everybody is watching. Always. So tell your story. Very important. Yeah. The good and the bad, right? Mm. The world is watching. And mm. one of the things I actually feel people don't pay too much attention to is curating that digital footprint right? Mm-hmm. Whether it's, you know, your main accounts, your pseudo accounts, all on the same platform. We know how data, mm-hmm. data maneuvers through different companies' mm-hmm. hands. Ha, ha, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna expand too much about that. Um, mm-hmm. consp- conspiracy theories. Hey. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's, that's another episode. That's a whole other mm-hmm. conversation. But one thing you mentioned, right, is, is that visibility that comes in social media. And I guess with where the world is in the past two years, we've seen a lot of that with how crazy 2020 was, right? Mm. With the Black Lives Matter movement in, mm. in the United States, mm. you know, and SARS in Nigeria, what, just, mm. what happened in Kenya as well, COVID-19 mm. relief and all that, which I'd love for us to, to speak about. But at the center of it all, it's a thing of, 
these things were happening to an extent, but the fact that one, a global pandemic had everyone seated in front of their computers, on their phones, and two, there are people depicting these stories, in, increasing the visibility of, oh, this is happening here, this happened, this happened, and put that thing up. That's what really drove those conversations. And I'd want to come, come down to the role that you played in this, right? World Bank Nigeria hit you up with an opportunity to be a voice um, amongst this crowd of you know, people who had this concerned interest in certain, in certain fields, in certain spaces. And one of the things you mentioned is how the effects of COVID-19 have caused people to lack access to resources, lack jobs, and had an effect on their mental health. Could you break this down for us from the things that you observed? Because you know, I guess it cuts across the board with you know, young people, some people who are in, in dysfunctional families had, you know, you can't leave the house. You, you're in that sort of toxic space and that has an effect on your mental health. The large, at the large level of people losing their jobs, right? How how was that for you viewing it from these lens and you know trying to communicate the urgency of this? Um, I feel like COVID nineteen was a world was a world urgency, right? We saw millions of people lose their job worldwide. We saw organizations go bankrupt. We saw the rise in as much as we saw the death of some companies. We also saw the rise. Of companies and one of those companies could be the use of um, um, the use of um, um, digital meeting services, you know, such as Microsoft yeah. Teams and Zoom. We also saw increased subscription rates on Netflix. We also saw that Amazon also become, you know, Amazon became one of the you know best global companies. We also saw the rise of Tesla. You know, we also saw the rise of Apple within you know that pandemic. For, for some it was very very favorable for some it was a it was a disaster and yeah I feel like you know from the point from from the lens of somebody who is advocating for you know poor people um I feel like it was hard I feel like it was harsh and the thing is it was a double-edged sword because first and yeah. foremost you want to protect poor people from dying because of course they are the most vulnerable if they are going to fight for their lives Right, they are more, you know, susceptible to getting the the virus, right? Yeah. And they are home. You have to protect them. But on the other side, there's no money or there's nothing in the budget to actually support them. So it was hard, right? It's yeah. like they know they want to be safe. They know they have to be safe because everybody feared COVID, right? They knew they had to be safe. But at the point, people started revolting because, and that's the and. And, and that's the painful thing about hunger and deprivation or yeah. lacking access. There's a limit to which you can take it. When the hunger hits you so hard, you don't care whether you're going to die. All that matters to you is putting food in your mouth, putting water. You just want, which, you just which, want whichever to way possible. You don't care because it's hunger, right? We, we, I mean, we all know how we get you know, cranky when we've not had breakfast. <laughs> now, imagine people that have stayed in the house for two weeks, for one month. Yeah. There's literally nothing on their table. And what did we as an organization do as Restructure Africa? We decided, no, these are one of us. These are our families. These are people that we know. In fact, we started distributing, we, we, we started distributing palliative from our volunteers. 
from people that worked in our organization. Charity must begin, be, begin must at begin home. at home. We cannot say that they are not people who need some of these things that work within the organization. So we actually started in-house. When we started in-house, we started taking care of people in-house. Then when we saw that some people were fine in-house, we now decided to take the initiative outside. And what were we doing? We were providing you know, sanitary and food items to last people for a week. Within the pandemic, we were able to support over 6,000 people. And aside from that, we raised about $8,000 to be able to, you know, um, 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 yeah, yeah, you know, to be able to, you know, just put some of all these related um, really fire times. We also got partnerships with companies like, you know, um, GoCard and Quick to help, you know, deliver some of these materials to very remote communities. Because, and again, we also made use of, you know, technology. We created a Google form. People had to fill in families or nominate families that think should be good beneficiaries. And, you know, we got their names, we called, we verified, we understood their conditions. Then we sent dispatch riders to go give them food. So we can categorically say that, you know, we stood up in the face of the pandemic. And this is where the government comes into play. We had cases where months after the pan, um, month after the lockdown ended, you know, there were reports of warehouses being discovered where food was getting rotten. And why was this food getting rotten? Because, you know, the government was inactive. There were people dying in homes, but yet there were warehouses where food were hoarded. Why? Because somebody was sitting somewhere and felt like poor people don't think, like they don't deserve it. They I know this thing where we feel like we want to give, but we have a cap. You know, we want to, instead of giving $10, you decide, ah, how will I give it there? How can, how can I give a poor person, <laughs> poor person $10? He deserves $10. one pound. He deserves $1. Because we believe that people, and the thing is giving, we don't lack anything. It is theirs. A lot of people donated billions and billions of their, I mean, one of those initiatives could have been, there was, an, um, 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 there, was a, there was a coalition in Nigeria that, you know, that had, you know, that was in charge of distributing some of all these materials. And if you go watch some of all these videos when they discovered houses, you could find that people were angry. And when they found those warehouses, they looted it. They, yeah. they 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 looted the warehouses because it is just sheer wickedness. Because if people had seen those food, if those items were getting to the most vulnerable, I'm sure people would have been willing to stay in their houses because the food was there, yeah. you know. And they were report like, oh, they would say, oh, we have given fifty thousand people food, and they're like, wait, the food never got to me. So who were the like who were the recipients? It yeah. was just audio, you know. So I feel like, you know, this is not to say that the Nigerian government or, you know, government across the world didn't do anything. But I feel like when it comes to accountability and when it comes to following up, I feel like we need to be more at, um, like we need to be more at alert. Like we need to ensure um, that we are, you know, at the state of things. Like we shouldn't just say people did things like yeah. verification, you know. Um, yeah, that's what I think. That's something similar to, what was observed in Kenya as well. Those mm. uncovering these truths, right? Props to the journalists who go out of their way to bring this truth to light, right? Um, we, we saw cases of money that was you know, given to the government for PPE materials mm. being embezzled, right? And rightly said, there, there are no accountability structures and and just just diving into this specific element of it right the, the role of social media in bridging in bridging this this gap in accountability what 
what we witnessed last year with with the different social media movements that were building that visibility in in the US it was you know black lives matter and what was going on there and in Nigeria you know home something that was very personal to you as well was and SARS mm. right and in the same year that restructure Africa you know young young leaders were were making these efforts to you know be part of the solution the arm of the government on this other side was breaking up that you know looking at how 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 that approach and the effects of of the SARS organization was you know how how they were operating was you know something that brought a lot of question but we saw yeah. a very big uproar globally right to in both of these movements the black lives matter and ensars and how was that like for you on the ground right mm. both both sort of observing the negatives that were going on but also mm. seeing how people could come together to increase the visibility of all of these issues okay so so thank you very much for that i feel like poverty is weaponized oppression is weaponized right classism is weaponized racism is um weaponized right capitalism is weaponized right even the system in itself is weaponized right and poor people give the the, the largest votes right mm. because they are literally fighting for their life poor people are the ones that listen to the most political speeches why because they are looking for the candidate who can change their social economic circumstances but we have seen year in and year out how this trust is constantly betrayed because if there are no poor people in the world who's going to vote them into power yeah right and people have gotten to the point where if you give them 10 dollars even if it's once a year they are happy because that is the only place hope has actually come in for years jigged so we've yeah. seen these cases where even the black lives matter too we also saw how people started playing faces in where some people started you know trying to affiliate themselves with black lives why because they were also trying to get the votes of black people yeah we're realizing right? it jigged what i mean so we've seen that you know in as much as yes we've seen that there 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 have been certain changes but we must acknowledge that there are systems these systems are things that have been in the government for a very very long time right because if it's working right then there's no need to give political speeches then there's no need to have a seven point national agenda there's no need to have strategy because you know that if people have the power to make their own choices they would never actually need the government So this is what you know. That's why we've seen that you know it brings me to the to, to the point on oppression, where when yeah. the government feels threatened that the people no longer want them, what do they do? They try and frustrate those policies. They try and create policies that keep people within their web that they can be controlled. They want to control yeah. people, and it brings me to the um, conversation on answers. It's a very very passionate um, thing for me, and I would not really like to speak much on it. But yeah. I would really say that October 2020, um, Nigerian youths were killed in Lekki, right? And up to today, the government has denied 
that youth were not killed. The Nigerian army sent youth to Lekitoget to go kill Nigerian people who were clamoring for their life, who were fighting, that we just want a better Nigeria. But up until yeah. today, the Nigerian government has denied that. And I'm sure if we go across Egypt, if we go across Belarus, if we go to Ukraine, if we go to Russia, if we go to parts of uh, uh, parts of DR Congo or yeah. South Sudan, we can see what oppression is doing to the people, right? And and who it's benefiting. And one thing we can I I I I can just say is, in as much as they say the youth are the future, and if you are not giving us opportunity to make our voices heard, if for for if 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 our rights are going to be disenfranchised, if by posting a clip that implicates a government official I'm sent to jail, if by posting or doing a report that uncovers some of the atrocities that happen beyond um, inside government and I'm being sent or sentenced to death just by exposing things that could make my country better, then is there any need for fighting? So it brings us to this yeah. question. Are we really, really fighting? Or we are fighting, but then we are being met with a roadblock with institutions and people who will continue to frustrate the good work that we're trying to do. So just to really, really answer a question on social media, I feel like it's our greatest, so like it's a, it like, like it is a great, like it is a, it is like, it is our safe space in as much as it has become toxic, but the yeah. world will listen, right? People would retweet, people will talk about it, right? If the government is not listening, currently the Nigerian government has banned Twitter in Nigeria to show you how oppressive the government has how become. How oppressive. You know, because they know that social media is where the Nigerian youth have a voice. We don't have a voice on the street because police will brutalize us, right? We can't go into the government house because we don't have seats. But that social media where we can fully express ourselves, it has been banned. Why? Because they know that if you give us an opportunity, we'll keep exposing the atrocities, yeah. uh, atrocities that happen within the government. So I feel like that it's, it's our most powerful tool and, you know, there should be freedom to use it in terms of, you know, bringing governance and promoting good governance. Yeah. There's something that um, a professor in criminology, Temitope mm. Oriola, he's a professor in criminology at the University mm. of Alberta. One mm. thing that he, he quoted a young person in one of, in one of his, his conversations and said that, you know, young people are saying we did not inherit the silence of our parents. Mm. And that's a very, very powerful statement, because if you look at the, the different countries that you mentioned, and I'd love for those listening, do, do deep research into this, right? Because in one way or another, you are, to, to an extent, you are facing some of the effects of this oppression, mm. whether directly or indirectly. And if you're not facing it, the other person in the room is probably facing it, right? Mm. And if you look at the Ugandan elections, mm. you know, a couple of months ago, also faced the same thing of, you know, the government blocking out service providers, Wi-Fi, social media, mm. and, you know, to do exactly what you just said, right? Stop that voice, you know, stop that visibility, stop people from posting the, the reality on the ground, right? In mm. Kenya, in Kenya, we saw the same issues of police brutality when enforcing COVID-19 regulations, which was very unnecessary. There was a mm. child who was in the balcony in the house, right? And a stray bullet, you know, 
unfortunately, right? Yeah. yeah. So it goes back to there was no accountability afterwards. And as I mentioned, just shout out to the people who are frontlined to take these videos, to talk about these stories, to do that research. There's a recent movie that just came out in Kenya called Softy, you know, that speaks to the same the same things that we're talking about here. If you guys get a chance it's on YouTube, it's called Softy. Mm-hmm. Please be, sh- be sure to just check it out on the same exact issues. And one of the biggest questions when we hop on conversations like this, because you'll hear conversations like, like this on, on different social platforms, on TV, but it's, mm-hmm. it's really a question of, are the conversations really you know, leading to actionable solutions? Or is it just you know, talk for the sake of talk? right how mm. where do you feel like we can begin reaching solutions to a number of these things is it in you know the people vying vying for these positions the people we nominate elect you know is it is it that specific element or is it the accountability structures that come after that and yes. ways to remove these people okay so i feel like the worst thing we can ever do is silence, right? We cannot be mm-hmm. silent in the, in, in, in the face of oppression, right? And whether we like it or not, the government is listening. For them to be, you know, clamping down certain initiatives like social media that amplify the voices of young people, it could tell you that they're actually listening. Meaning that development is not hard. Changing or impacting the lives of people is not hard. They are listening when they want to get elected into office, they use the same social media platforms. Some of the youths that are abandoned or some of the people that they never get to speak to when they get elected in government, when it's time for them to get reelected, they know where they live, they know their addresses. It's funny, right? That, you know, when um, during the times of COVID, right? People didn't know poor people, but when it's time for you to get into office, you know where they live. You know yeah. their communities. You know their leaders, right? Yeah, that with your cars say, and rallies. Did you get, you, you know their community leaders. This is just to say that I think talking has been our savior. Talking as what has amplified the systemic racism that lies how the Black Lives Matter was trying to fight the systemic racism that we have seen across the world. Right, yeah. our talking as you know, um, led you know, um, our talking as as um, I'm trying to look for certain revolutions, um, that that talking did. Um, we can talk about the Arab Spring, right? The Arab Spring in Egypt. Uh, talking exactly. as also, yes. you know, our talking as has also led to that. We can talk about Malala. Malala had to flee a country to run to the UK where she found. Um, refugee status because people spoke up right so i want you to know that whether we like it or not world leaders are they are listening the world is watching right we have seen cases in belarus where ngos are being clamped down because they are not in support of the oppressive government at the moment and what did the government do they decided that what they were going to revoke some of the license of these companies right our talking has also we have also seen how our talking has also helped cases in Yama, right? When people shut down the internet, we know why they shut down the internet because they know people are talking. You see this thing right here? 
this is the yeah. most powerful, one of the most powerful inventions that, that has ever been created. Why? Because with one minute, you can literally tell the world what is happening in your country and you will find somebody that can really, really amplify that story. This is not to say that some of all these social media platforms have also not been weaponized. Because when we talk about algorithm, we talk about machine learning, we talk about how you know some of all these things can also be weaponized and target people or how you also want to spread misinformation. But the thing is, if we're not talking, trust me, Bonnie, some of these yeah. governments will still be, you know, you know how certain atrocities that are certain atrocities are covered up daily. Why? Because people are not reporting it, right? And the more people report, the more the world gets to know that yes, this is happening in this country. Let us sign, let us send soldiers. Oh, let us gather resources. Oh, let us send medical help. Oh, let us do XS, Y, and Z, right? I mean, if nobody posts about the earthquake that happened in maybe Malaysia or Singapore, for instance, yeah. how would the world know that something is happening? So I feel like our talking is helping. It might not be as we want to, as, as we want it, but the thing is, we have to talk. And just lastly, um, I feel like it's not enough to talk. In as much as it is important to talk, it is not enough to talk. I feel like we also need to work to talk. If there are positions in governments that we think we can occupy, as a young person, go occupy that seat. If there's a business idea, there's an initiative that you feel like would help bring change to your community, please start yeah. that initiative. When it comes to voting your government officials into power, instead of you saying that they will not listen, why don't you go and vote the person in power, right? Because we need to change habits. That change, that, that habit of not participating is what has led to the decay. But the more we participate, the more we talk, the more we get involved, the more we take, you know, we take our chances, the more we have a fighting chance. But if we do our hands like this and say that we never listen, this is how we probably might be for the next 50 years. So we need to act, not just talk. Yeah. Fantastic, fantastic note to end on, Joshua. Mm. This has been a deep, a very deep conversation, right? And I, I have personally learned so, so much from, from getting, you know, a look at this matter of the social media and, and development mm. and you know, bringing our voice forward from your lens. And that, that has been incredible. As we come to the end of this, we have a very special segment where we enter the elevator, right? So picture this, you've just left the boardroom, you're walking on your way to the elevator and you meet one of our budding interns who has a couple of quick fire questions for you as you get into this elevator. Are you ready for these quick fire questions, Joshua? (laughs) (laughs) All right, the first question, who has had a tremendous impact on you as a leader? Name one person Um, and give them a shout out. I think I'd like to give a shout out to Mr. Shion Akin Folari. Uh, he's the man who has mentored me for this long, who didn't know me. But here is, like, I would say he has really played a very, very important role in my life. So Mr. Shion Akin Folari would definitely be, be that person. Yeah. yeah. So shout, shout out to out. you, Mr. Shion. Shout out to you. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Next question, where do you find inspiration and creativity in your work? God, who is the creator mm. of the heavens and the earth. 
you know. So on, I am very, very unashamed of my love for God. He's Amen. my biggest inspiration. So uh, yeah, that's it's, it's just God. And this is not to say I don't work hard or I don't learn, but or I recognize that if there's anything that has kept me going, that's just been God. Yeah. Fantastic, fantastic. What's the best compliment you've ever received? Hmm. <laughs> best one is it's kind of hard, you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's kind of hard because I get a lot of compliments. But I think you, maybe when people you get this guy out of the elevator. Yeah, when they tell me that they really like my voice, I'm like, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> lovely lovely and last last but of course not least right what do you want to be remembered for joshua i was here i lived i loved i was here answer the question <laughs> so you can get out of here bro <laughs> um i think for me really what i want to be remembered for is a lift mm. yeah well what that is i do not know but every day i am living my life as i want to and i know that i want to die and people will listen to my podcast listen to my videos and if there's one thing they will say joshua was really on earth so that's it for me yeah that's beautiful josh yeah and um this last one is is a personal for me if you had a if you had a billboard right put up anywhere in the world where would it be and what would it read Anywhere I in the world, you put up a billboard with words uh, from Joshua Kudua. Where would it be, and what would those words be? Um, I think I'll probably put the billboard in the sky, right? Mm. And it would still remain the same thing. Don't forget to leave. Yeah, because the sky is huge, right? Like everyone can see it, you know. So, if it was possible. I'll put the billboard in the sky, and it's possible because you know you have drone technologies and things like that. So, I'll just a constant reminder that don't forget to leave. Um, take care of your mental health. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, don't forget to leave. Of course, take care of your mental health and uh, enjoy, enjoy your life. Enjoy. Yes, enjoyment. Enjoy, 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 enjoyment. Enjoy. <laughs> This that life. is Joshua. That, <laughs> no, that no, is Joshua's no. message to you as you enter your Christmas and holiday spirit. Don't forget to live and cherish that enjoyment, guys. Take a break. Send send those emails to your employers if they haven't sent in your Christmas check. Uh, it's important. In fact, Joshua, <laughs> Joshua just pulled out his phone. <laughs> he's he's sending that email right now. Shoot your shot. Shoot your shot right there. Thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen, for tuning into this week's episode. We wish you a merry, merry Christmas as you get ready for the 25th of December. Shout out to every single one of you. Celebrate life and we'll see you on the next episode. 
Joshua, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. Bye, guys.